0: How's everybody doing? Good, good. Is anyone else uh, slightly depressed about the fact that summer's kind of, I know like as adults you don't get like a summer summer, you know, we just get like heat and we still have to go to work, but uh, it's a little sad with, you're going to think we're bad parents, but um, we like don't have like bedtimes for our kids in the summer at all, so that means like we stay up till like Midnight watching Jesse on Netflix and, like, eating popcorn and junk If you don't know what Jesse is, you're not a parent of girls. Uh, you know what's sad? Okay, let me not get too sidetracked. If you, does anyone know what Jesse is? is? Anyone else from me? Okay. You know what's funny? Um, I won't I won't embarrass her, Lindsay Bush. But uh, one time they were at our house, uh, this one family, and we were talking about how our girls love the show Jesse and, and Lindsay Asked Alicia, she goes, have you friend requested her yet on Facebook? And Alicia's like, you talking about the actress and Jesse? And she's like, yeah, I did. And we were like, wow, that's like a whole new level, you know, like, (laughs) um, actually like friend requesting the people in these shows and stuff. But, uh, it's just really funny. Like, it's just, I love the summertime because we stay up late and we eat, like, way too much, like, sugary stuff and watch movies. And I'm introducing my kids to, like, 80s cartoons um, because Netflix has a bunch of them and that's fun. And so, yeah, isn't that great? I think I'm a good parent for that. Anyways, uh, so, (laughs) but they go back to school next week. And so there's, like, no more of that. And then I have to wake up early and take my daughter to school and all that stuff. Anyways, it's depressing, but um, that has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about. If you've never been to the church for the last uh, five weeks, this is our sixth week doing it. We've been doing a series, and we're not like a series kind of church. We don't really do a whole lot of that. We'll do one or two in the year, and that's about it. And we've been working on this one for, uh, again, this is our sixth week of doing it. This is our last one, and we've been taking kind of cultural values or cultural ideas and principles and comparing them to the teachings of Jesus and kind of finding out that those two don't really go along together very often, okay? Not all the time, but but most of the time, the teachings of Christ and the teachings of culture are very much at odds with each other. Uh, if you weren't here last week, in my opinion, um, the best sermon I've ever heard Josh teach, and I'm not just saying that, it was... it. I usually sit in on one of the four and I'll be doing something else the other four like hanging out in Echo or the nursery or doing something else just kind of seeing the rest of the church operate. I sat in on two of them last week because the message hit home with me big time. Um, I don't know if it was the best Josh has ever taught but as far as like a message that's spoke to me, it did, and something that Josh kept saying over and over and over again, and the message that just struck a nerve with me, is he said, it's not that we try harder with Jesus, we draw closer to Jesus, and he said that several times, and I got chills just saying it right now, every time he would say it, it just, like, hit something with me, because I naturally just want to work harder, right? Right? Um, don't have a you know relationship with my dad. So I just think like, if I just work harder, I'll please my heavenly father. And it's not working harder for Jesus. It's just getting closer to him. When we get closer to him, we naturally are better individuals. We have a better relationship with him and our family and our friends and our church and whatever the case may be. Get closer, don't try harder. Interesting. But we talked about that last week. Great lesson. I'm gonna wrap up this series um, today. I'm gonna teach next week on uh, communion. Communion. And then we're going to do four weeks, I think, of the book of Philippians. And then we're going to get into the gospel of John for a million years. And uh, we'll be in that for a while. Not a million years. Come on. It'll be about six months. Uh, but we'll get into the gospel of John, which will be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll really study the teachings of Jesus. But what I'm going to talk about today is this. And it's going to get a We're going to go through this emotional roller coaster today, um, just to let everyone know. And so we're going to talk about this, that we are invited by Jesus to say no to us. <laughs> We are invited by Jesus to deny ourselves, which is very countercultural, and if we accept this invitation of saying no to us, we receive a reward from God that is beyond our comprehension. So Jesus asks us to put ourselves last, but if we accept this, there is a tremendous, uh, beautiful, incomprehensible reward waiting for us if we say no to us, so... Um, you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. It's on U version, the fancy app. If you want to be fancy, uh, you can just play Pokemon Go if you get bored. You know, if you pull out your phone. Um, but uh, do you guys remember the day that launched? There was like people walking around our parking lot, and it was like eight o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting at the front door, and I'm like, "What are people doing in our parking lot?" And that's what it was. And I was like, "I don't know. It's just weird." But anyways, uh, it's on the it's on the app, and and let me set this up a little bit. Uh, I tried really, really hard to find a philosophical view of our culture, and I'm going to show it to you here in a second. And, and the person that I got this philosophical view from is very controversial, but we'll talk about this. I'm going to pray. You Guys, Have just, just have grace on me today, and I'm going to try not to be all preachy at you guys, and um, we'll just see what happens, okay? I'm a little nervous. So uh, let me pray, and we'll jump into this, okay? All right. Father, Lord, I love you. God, just help me, Lord, to relax this morning. God, I'm talking to my brothers and sisters. And Lord, let me talk in such a way to where we're talking as family. Um, God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room that is not a believer, that they come and they are confused or maybe they've been hurt or maybe uh, they just don't believe. I pray, God, that you just, that something in this lesson today just sparks an interest or or, or piques some kind of idea in their head, God, that maybe they will pursue you or pursue the truth and, and find you in that, God. Um, Lord, I pray that you open up our minds, open up our eyes, open up our ears. Father, we pray, Lord, right now in our city, God, that all the churches in our community, Lord, that you just speak through the pastors this morning, God, and, and speak to the congregations and Use us, guys, God, as a unified front to advance your gospel, advance your kingdom. And Lord, just, just work on us today. Show us truth today. Encourage us, God. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that your heart is just reflected through this lesson. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't have to get into a lot of statistical stuff or present a bunch of stuff uh, uh, from our culture to hopefully persuade you to the fact that we are a culture, American culture, that is very centered on self, right? We often think that we are the center of the universe. So like I said, I tried to research a philosophical view that would kind of sum up, at least to me, how the average American thinks. Now, and I'm I'm picking on American culture because that's what we're a part of, all right? So this is what I came up with. This was written in the 20th century, and before I show you who wrote this, I would like to persuade you to agree with me that this is a pretty accurate view of the average individual, okay? Individualism is the idea that the individual's life belongs to them and that they have the right to live as they see fit, to act on their own judgment, to keep and use the product of their effort and to pursue the values of their choosing. It's the idea that the individual is sovereign and an end in themselves and the fundamental unit of moral concern. In other words, it's all about the individual. We have all the choice. We have control over our own lives. We get to choose our values. Everything that we earn belongs to us. This is, I would think, a pretty common mindset amongst the average individual in American culture. Can we kind of agree on that? Now the individual that wrote that is a very controversial character. Her name is Ayn Rand. And uh, she is kind of the, and I'm not trying to get political today, she is the champion of capitalism. Many very right-wing Republican people, very right-wing conservatives, love Ayn Rand, which is interesting to me because she did not love Jesus Christ very much, but they very much are drawn to her. Now, I'm not pulling this out to pick on conservatives or libertarians or anything. That's not why I'm doing this. But I'm pulling this out because I think her view of her philosophy called objectivism, I believe sums up the American culture pretty well. Whether you're on the hard left, hard right, atheist, Christian, whatever, unfortunately, we are a people that believe we are the end all be all to everything. And this sums it up pretty well. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take this paragraph that I just read to you, and we're gonna compare it to some simple teachings of the Bible. Now, the first one sounds good. She says the individual's life belongs to them. The individual's life belongs to them. Now that may be true to an extent until we give our life to Jesus Christ. And so 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You do not belong to you. So whenever the Christian says, I am my own person, it's my body, I can see what I do fit with it, my choices are mine, that is not the mindset of a true believer. The true believer understands that we were purchased by God and we belong to Him. And so what we do with our body must honor Him. What we do with our mind must honor Him because ultimately it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to someone else. Now yes, we have the freedom from God to choose, but the Christian willingly forfeits their dreams, their hopes, their aspirations in exchange for God's hopes, His dreams, His aspirations. Okay? So let's break down the next sentence. We live as we see fit. Now, there's a huge just practical conundrum with that. If we all lived as we see fit, I may see it fit to take your car because it's nicer than mine. You may see it fit to make an advancement on my wife because she's prettier than yours. Let's just be real, guys, right? So I'm just joking. No, she was at the seven and I could see her in the corner just like nodding her head but you may see it fit to move in on someone's wife or move in on someone's husband. And if we live as we see fit, ultimately those freedoms are going to encroach on someone else's lifestyle, so it doesn't work. That's why the Bible says, be holy because I'm holy. So what God says is don't live as you see fit, live as I see fit, live as Jesus sees fit, be holy like he's holy. And the Christian understands that we do not determine what is fit living, that God determines what is fit living. Let's go a little bit further. To keep the product of their own effort. Now, here's where we get into uncomfortable territory, don't we? Because I know that we work hard for things. When we, when we work hard and we earn something, it is mine. Anyone else read The Minosaur? Right? No one? All right? The Minosaur, that book where there's this dinosaur that everything is his, right? Mine, mine, mine. He's the Minosaur. And most times we act like minosaurs, right? We act like Elmo and Grouchland. I'm just speaking to parents this morning. Anyways, <laughs> we sometimes have this mindset. And when, when we read this from, uh, from Ayn Rand, when she says, whatever you, whatever you earn, you get to keep. And again, we should get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. If you work hard and you cut corners and you save forever and you get this new car, yes, you should be able to enjoy that car. Here's the thing though. We should get to enjoy the fruit of our labor, but the true lover of God is a true lover of people. And if I drive a $40,000 car, and I'm not knocking on you if you drive a $40,000 car, but if you drive a $40,000 car and your next door neighbor does not have enough food on the table, they're doing their best, but they cannot make ends meet. The Bible says in Acts, this isn't from a communist manifesto or from some socialist essay, the Bible says that I should sell my belongings so my neighbor should have enough to eat. Now, people get all out of shape, all bent out of shape about that. Well, I earned it. I'm not arguing that you earned it. But if you love people like God loves people, there should be sacrifices made on our behalf. Not because the government forces me to, but because God has put his spirit in me, and I should look at people like God looks at people. I shouldn't have a government tell me to be benevolent. I should want to be benevolent. Amen? Amen. Thank you. This is how we should act. Someone shouldn't have to tell us to love our neighbor. It shouldn't be a law for God's sake. God's spirit is in us. And if we see someone wanting and we have excess, the Bible says we should sell our belongings and we should help out the poor. We're also... She says that we are to pursue the values of our own choosing. Again, who dictates morality? Who says what values are good and what values are bad? That's why the Bible is vitally important. But even in Christian culture, We've taken this and we take out whole books of the Bible because they don't align with my personal preferences. We take out certain contributors to the Bible because they say things that aren't cool in society right now, and we remove these things. Now again, we have the freedom to believe whatever we choose to believe, but the Christian submits to the word of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, that's it. And all scripture, all scripture, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, was breathed by the Holy Spirit through man, and it is all profitable to instruct us on how to live. If one becomes a believer, a true believer, you accept this thing in its total state, not just in the bits and pieces that make us comfortable. And then the biggest one that I think is the easiest to break down is she says the individual is sovereign. Now, I know she's talking about free will and choice. I know that's what she's talking about. But the word sovereign is problematic because by definition, sovereign means that you have supreme power. Josh very adequately talked about this last week when he said that this is completely foolish. No person has supreme power. No person has the ability to do whatever they want to do. I love how he brought up the point how people say, if you just put your mind to it, you can do it. That's not true. You can't fly. We can't flap our arms hard enough or fast enough to get off the air and fly. It's an impossibility. And so the individual is not sovereign. We're not. We must know that we can plan and we can prepare and we're called to do those things. We're to be good stewards, we're to count the cost, all these things. But at the end of the day, God's plan will always triumph. It says in Proverbs, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That's what will end up. At the end of the road will be God's plan, God's will, God's desire, and not ours. And then the last statement that I want to break down of Ayn Rand's is she said that we are an end in ourselves, that at the end of it is us. At the end of the road, at the end of everything we do is self-preservation, taking care of ourselves. And quite frankly, we are a narcissistic culture. Meaning we are a culture that has a very unrealistic and grandiose view of ourselves. Like, like again, like when we like, like selfie our breakfast, like no one cares about that. Like that's a grandiose view of how people look at us. We think we're a lot more important than what we are. And the Bible warns us about this. Paul tells the Romans, don't be wise in your own estimation, don't think you're more than what you are. Be humble. We also need to know this because the Bible says it in First Peter, that we are migrants passing through and on this road of life, the end destination is not me. The end destination is Jesus. We're gonna see that here in a minute when we get into the book of Revelation. But at the end of the road is not anything to do with me. Our eternity is not centered on me or you. Our eternity is centered on Christ. Now look, I'm not a socialist, I'm not a communist, I'm not a left winger or a right winger. I would say I'm very apolitical. It means I don't really like any of them. But anyways, um, but here's the th- Here's the thing, on both sides of the political spectrum, on both sides of the economic spectrum, the theological, that means Christians, atheists, the social perspective, the common thread that you can find amongst almost any group of people, in a nation that says they're 70% Christian, it's 68, but close to 70% claim to be Christian. The common thread amongst any group of people is the idea that we are to bring comfort, satisfaction, and pleasure to me. That is the common thread amongst all people. Look at it. I watch the DNC. I watch the RNC. I follow it. And all it boils down to is me. What's best for me? It's all about me. That is the common thread. Now, listen, after saying all that and kind of comparing the Bible to this very individualistic philosophy that Ayn Rand proposes to us that I think is very common in our society, after comparing those things, I do want to affirm to you you're important. I don't want to make you feel bad today. You're extremely important. And in fact, When you get into the Bible, if you're reading the Bible for the first time, Genesis chapter one and two, the creation story, right? The fundamental, just the the beginning of it all. At the beginning of it all, God is extremely proud. When he makes the earth, he steps back from everything he makes and he says, that's good. And so he, he creates the earth, that's good. He creates the vegetation, he creates the animals. He does all these things, the universe, the solar system. He says, that's good. And the masterpiece, Of everything God created, though, was us, mankind. Mankind is unique in the fact that he gives something special to mankind. I don't know if you know this. Besides God, angels, and demons, the only things that live forever are us. Nothing else on earth is eternal except for mankind. So God gives us a soul, not just gives us a soul, he takes it a step further, and we are made in the image of God. We're the only thing ever created that looks like God. We're made in his image. And so there is something very special about humanity. It started, if you read the Bible in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, if you get into the beginning chapters of the Bible, it says that God walked with Adam walked with him in the cool of the day, that he and Adam would just like shoot the breeze with each other and talk. He had this great relationship with Adam. The intimacy of God and man even steps it up a notch when Jesus inserts himself into humanity, right? 2000 years ago. And he gives us the example of how to live and he heals people and he instructs people and he dies on the cross for us. And then in my opinion, the intimacy is even intensified After the death of Jesus, when he pours out his Holy Spirit and for all those that believe in him, we can now possess the spirit of God in us. That's extremely intimate. So it's very clear to me that God loves people. He loves people so much and he will go to the craziest degree to make sure that we have salvation, that we can be saved. So if someone were to ask you the most pivotal words that were ever written, the most important statements that were ever recorded by anyone, this is what what it would be. I know John 3, 16 is like the scripture that's kind of become cliche in Christianity, but it's true. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. Those are the most important words ever written. That shows the extent of how important God thinks you and I are. It said, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn us. God didn't send Jesus to like knock us down and zap us with lightning bolts and tell us how terrible He w- how terrible we are. He sent His Son to save us from that condemnation, to bring us out of guilt and shame and sin and a disconnect from God. God loves us. He loves us immensely. Listen." and not just humanity as a whole, God loves you as an individual. Possibly the most fascinating thing about God is not that God is everywhere at all times or that he knows all, sees all. Not that that God was able to part the Red Sea or that Jesus was able to resurrect himself from the dead. I don't think that's the most fascinating thing about God. I think the most fascinating thing that I cannot wrap my brain around is right now there's probably roughly, you know, I don't know, 800 or 1,000 people in this room and 2,200 or 2,400 or whatever this weekend that will be here. And if all of us prayed simultaneously, God can give every single one of us his undivided attention at the same time. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, we can't comprehend that, but that's what God can do. And so He's unique in His attention towards each person. He knows every hair on your head, He knows every thought in your mind. He knew who you are before you were knit together in your mother's womb. That's how intimate the relationship between God and the individual can be. It even goes to the extent to where He calls us friend. The one that created all things and all things were created for him, not for us, but for him, also loves us to the point to where he calls us friend. Now listen, God does not need us. I heard, I heard pastors and preachers say that forever in the church I came from. God made us because he was lonely. That's bull. He was not lonely. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have perfect community within themselves. Listen, God doesn't need us, but what's awesome is God wants us. He doesn't need to have me, but he wants to have me. And there's this beauty in that. That's how important the individual is. But now let's, let's bring it back down. But we are not the center of the universe. We are the masterpiece of God. We are the apple of his eye, but we are not the center of the universe. Let me, let me read you a story. This is Jesus talking to a bunch of followers who are following him. This is in Luke 9. I'm going to start at verse 23, not 22. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, let, you, let yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. Once we understand, you and I, understand from Genesis 1 and 2 that we are the masterpiece of God. We are the greatest thing he's ever created. He loves us. The the angels are flabbergasted by the affection that God has for us. God loves us. We are extremely important to him. The masterpieces of God, humanity, are following him around, right? We're talking about the disciples, not just the 12, but there was a huge crowd of people that followed Jesus around. And so these people were following him around, and they saw him raise the dead, heal the sick, heal the blind. They saw him forgive sins, which was a bigger deal than just healing them physically. He, was, he spiritually restored people. And after seeing the power and glory of God and hearing the teachings from a very humble but yet powerful Jesus, Jesus invites people to be in unity with him and he invites people to follow the creator. The creation is given the invitation to follow the creator. Now at first glance, who in their right mind would say no to that? If God came down and said, hey, follow me, live with me, walk the way I walk, okay. That sounds like a great idea. And at first glance, the offer sounds amazing. But then Jesus clarifies a little bit, right? He says, now, I want you to follow me, but this is what it costs. It's free. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work your way into it. The entrance fee into a relationship with God to walk with him, to experience the power of God, the comfort of God, the joy of God is we must deny ourselves. We cannot purchase it. We cannot work our way into it, but to follow Jesus, to be close and intimate with the creator, we must say no to us and yes to him. That's it. Simple, right? Again, as we dig deeper though, it's not so simple. So Jesus doesn't bait and switch. And listen, if you're not a Christian in here, for the next couple of minutes, I swear I'm not trying to talk you out of being a Christian. Being a Christian is the greatest choice you will ever make. But Jesus was clear to his disciples Multiple times, he said, Guys, I am here on earth to die. I am walking slowly towards my own crucifixion. I am walking towards my death. And inevitably, if you follow me, you're also going to be walking towards hostility. You're also going to be walking towards adversity. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be self indulgent. It's not going to be all about you. It's going to suck sometimes. It's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be hard. And what we've done in Christian culture, and if you're wearing a cross necklace, you don't have to like stuff it in your shirt real quick. This isn't, I'm not busting on that. But oftentimes we think we can wear the cross, get a tattoo of the cross, get a bumper sticker of the cross, that we can do these things and we somehow believe that that is following Jesus. Listen, one cannot wear the cross. You cannot simply wear the title of Christian. One must bear the cross. We cannot simply say we are this. We must live like Jesus. We must live and talk and act as closely as we can to him. So what does it mean to bear the cross? It simply means self-denial, not self-promotion. It means that we focus on Jesus, that we promote him. It means that we do not seek popularity and fame and fortune and success. We seek him and he gives us whatever level of success that he sees fit. We don't go out looking to amass a large audience or whatever for ourselves. We go out looking for him and he gives us what he can trust us with. That is what we do. That is bearing the cross. And to bear the cross is painful. The word excruciating comes from the crucifixion. That's where it came from. It was a whole new level of pain. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's talking about, I'm asking you to take on a whole new level of discomfort. It means that we are commissioned to go love those that hate us, love those that reject us, surrender our earthly allegiances for heavenly allegiances, to sacrifice certain relationships, to adhere to all of the teachings of Christ, and to put ourselves last after our service to God and our service to others. I'm going to be straightforward with you. You're going to be hurt. You're going to feel abandoned. You're going to feel alienated. You're going to cry. You're going to get tired. That's why the Bible says don't grow weary of doing good because it's not easy to do good. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It is extremely difficult. And Jesus shocked us with this. You may be shocked with it right now. In a world of Joel Osteen's and smiley millionaires that tell you if you follow Jesus, everything's gonna be hunky-dory. It's shocking to North Americans when we find out Jesus says you're gonna suffer. Jesus says it's going to be hard. And so Jesus defined his role as suffering. He was abused. He was spat upon. He was tortured publicly. And then he says, come with me. They're going to hate you because they hated me first. Do you want to come along? There was a young man that ran up to Jesus in the book of Luke. He said, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, foxes have holes, birds have nests. We don't know where we're going to sleep tonight. Do you still want to go? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, yes, you can walk with me, but if you do, it's gonna be difficult at times. So here's the thing though. We're only given two options. There's only two different roads we can take. Jesus invites us to go on his road and then there's another road that we can walk on. And so what he says is this. He says, you can either make this life, this earthly life, what you and I are living right now, we can make it all about us, we can accumulate a lot of stuff, we can have sex with a lot of people, we can do a lot of drugs, we can get drunk, we can party, we can do all these things that feel good in the temporary time that we're here. We can do all these things. We can do it. We have the freedom. We have the free will to do that. Knock yourself out, he says. But there will come a time when that will come to an end. Now look, you don't have to be a Christian to agree with that. When you die, you're dead, right? You can no longer enjoy the stuff. You can no longer enjoy the sex, the drugs, the music, the the partying, the big houses, all these things. You can't enjoy that anymore because you're dead. And so Jesus says, you can party it up now and then it's gonna come to an end, right? And the Bible says this life is like a vapor. Comes out and it's gone quickly. Or, second option, you can make this life about Jesus and his kingdom and it may be hard, there may be hardships, there may be tears, there may be blood, there may be sweat, there may be a lot of hard work, but, when this very short temporal existence is done, you will live in eternity with me in paradise. Which road do you wanna take? That's all, that's, that's essentially what he says. Now again, this sounds great, right? Well, heck yes, I wanna live well for eternity. But in the present, that's difficult. Let's just be honest, it's difficult. There's tremendous sacrifice that we have to make now while we're on earth. And here's the problem. Christians think that one day we're gonna be accepted, right? One day we're going to elect a pastor as president and everything's going to be good and we're going to live in a theocracy and everyone's going to love Jesus and our music's going to be the only thing on the radio. It's not because most of the time it's terrible, but all this stuff, like we think that our stuff is going to be it, right? That Hollywood's going to repent and all these things are going to change. And Jesus clearly tells us over and over and over that the ideologies and the philosophies of the world will never accept you. He says it over and over and over again. And we're shocked that people don't accept us. And Jesus said, they're not going to accept you. They're going to hate you. The world's ideologies are not going to jive with you. But churches are like, well, if we just play more cold play and less worship, then the world will like us, right? If we start doing, I have nothing against cold play, guys, but you know what I'm saying? We keep saying, if we just integrate more world things into the church, we'll get more people. Jesus didn't attract people to the kingdom of God by presenting them the kingdom of earth. That's not how Jesus won people. He talked about the kingdom of God. And so what we keep wanting to do, you and I, is we either want to shove the cross on Jesus, which by the way, he already bore his cross. His cross is taken care of. Now you have to bear yours. But we try to shove it on him. Well, Jesus already did it, so I don't have to do it, right? No, he says, no, you got you to take up your cross. Or we tried to delay our cross. I'll start tithing when I have more money. I'll start serving when I have more free time. Good luck with that one, by the way. I'll start doing this when I'm more settled. I'll do this when I get my wild oats out. And we want to put it off. But the true believer, because Jesus says you'll pick it up daily, the true believer gets under their cross now. We accept our responsibility now. We understand that we're not promised tomorrow, so we better get on the ball now. That's what the true believer does. And so why would we do this, right? If you're in the room and you're not a Christian, and it's like, I didn't know a Christian was like this. You may not want to get into this, but here's the thing. When one has a revelation of what the cross means, when it's not just a sticker or a necklace or a tattoo or just something fancy, when we truly understand the cross, when we understand that the God that created everything came down in the form of a man and died not just for humanity as a whole, listen, but died for you and me as individuals. While you were having lustful thoughts for a woman that's not your wife, Jesus died for you on the cross while you were cheating on your taxes, while I was being insecure, while whatever the sin was or the insecurity was, while we were in the middle of that, Jesus still died for us. And when we have a revelation of that, our natural response will be in allegiance to him. It will be wanting to serve him. In recognition and acknowledgement of the savior is recognition and acknowledgement that I cannot grow apart from Jesus. I cannot grow. I cannot be better. I cannot be satisfied. I cannot be content apart from God. We need God to lead. That's why you should suffer. We must also choose this life of sacrifice because there's a lot lot on the line. We willingly deny ourselves and walk into adversity and hostility because eternity is in the balance. Listen, not just for my soul. I walk into hostility and adversity because my wife... My children, my neighbors, my friends, my family, conservatives, liberals, Muslims, Buddhists, addicts, atheists, everyone's soul is on the line. And if we don't get busy working and digging into people's lives and connecting them with God, there are going to be people that go to hell. And so we have got to work, not just for us, But for them, and listen, the true follower of Jesus doesn't want anyone to go to hell. The true follower of Jesus wishes no one should perish spiritually but all should come to a repentance. Do you know how I know that? Because the Bible says that God died, that none should perish and all should come to repentance. Does that mean they're all going to come to repentance? No, but at the heart of God, listen, and at the heart of every believer should be to love every person we meet enough for them to not want to go to hell. But they're a baby killer. They don't know Jesus yet. But they're a Muslim. They don't know Jesus yet. But they're sexually promiscuous. They don't know Jesus yet. And when they don't know Jesus, there's no telling what length people can go to. But we've got to show them love because so much is at stake. And we should want no one to perish. And listen, God knows this is scary for us. One of my favorite illustrations in the entire Bible is Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's telling them all the stuff I'm telling you right now. And he knows that they're terrified, right? So he stops in his tracks and he looks back at them and he says, guys, how much can you buy a sparrow for at the marketplace right now? And they said, I don't know, you can get like two for a penny, they're cheap, right? And so Jesus says, every time a sparrow on planet earth dies and hits the ground, my father knows. And then he looks at them and he says, you're made in the image of God. How much more valuable do you think you are than sparrows? God knows that you're scared. God knows that it's a crazy world right now. God knows that there's a lot of concerns that we have, but he assures us that he's with us. He tells his disciples, even to the end of time, even till the end of the earth, I'm with you. My spirit is with you. They they, they might take your head. They may take your children. They may hurt you, but I'm with you. And this life is not it. There is far more beyond this. So we must choose a path. There's two choices and we have to pick one. And Jesus' definition is not the same as Christians' definition of faith. Our definition of faith is just believing that there's a God. The Bible clears that up. Even the demons in hell believe that there's one God and it scares them, but they're not saved. And so... The the true definition of faith is self-denial in favor for following Jesus on his mission. That is the true definition of faith. Faith is not just knowing Jesus is up there. Faith is knowing that if I'm behind him, I can go wherever he goes and I'm going to be okay. I can go wherever he leads and he's going to protect me. And I trust that he's going to be the end result, that he's going to be my final destination. And whatever road we choose, guys, and some of us need to make a choice, Whatever road we choose, whether it's a road of self-pleasure or a road of self-denial, you need to choose your road and you need to completely unchoose the other one. You need to let the other one go. Because it says in Joshua 24:15, "Make a choice. As for me and my family, we're going to go the way of God, but you need to make a choice. You need to make a choice because no man can serve two masters." Now listen. We need to invest in ourselves, guys. You need to read books, You need to study, you need to be educated, you need to work hard, you need to have time to relax, you need to take a Sabbath day. All those things are important. We need to invest in ourselves, but we don't invest in ourselves simply for us. We invest in ourselves so we can be better moms and better dads and better followers of Jesus and better Christians and better neighbors. That's why we do this, in hopes that through us, the light can shine on those that don't have the light and that they may be saved. And the longer we look at God, listen, this is so important, the longer we keep our eyes focused on God, the more our eyes start to look at other people like his eyes look at us. The more I look at him, the more I don't look at people who disagree with me ideologically and hate them. I look at them and I say, they need God. I love them and they just need God. We don't look at people who are of different faiths or different sexual preferences or whatever the case may be. We don't look at them with hatred and indignation. We look at them the way God looks at us, that they need a relationship with him. Now, here's the last part. If you have a Bible, flip over to Revelation 22. It's at the very, very end of the Bible, last chapter. Let me set this up for a second. The ultimate reason we deny ourselves is because eternity is at stake, Right? Now, if we deny ourselves, there is an inheritance that we get. And Christians, and this is fine, I love talking about it, we love to talk about heaven, right? And if you've never read chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation, it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. Some of the most beautiful uh, descriptive words of heaven and eternity, Revelation 21 and 22. Now, if you get into these chapters, John, who was one of the 12 disciples, in fact, he was the only disciple that was next to Jesus when he was crucified, oddly enough, the only disciple who died a natural death. He was the beloved one. He took care of Mary after Jesus uh, died and rose again, very, very close to Christ, okay? He was given a vision by God, kind of transported spiritually into heaven, and he got to see what we will one day see in eternity, okay? Okay? And in chapter 21 and 22, what John does is he takes us on a, on, a, on a journey into our eternity and he writes it down. Now, what he does is he starts off at the outside, right? He starts from the big picture. I don't know if you know this or not. I said it earlier. We're the only things eternal on planet earth. The old earth will disappear. The heavens will disappear. There will be nothing left. And then God will create a new earth, right? A new earth. And this new city, the new Jerusalem will come down rest on the new earth, and we will live in the new city. But it says the gates of the city will be open. So that leads me to believe we will get to explore a new earth. That's cool, right? So this is what eternity is going to look like. So John, starting in chapter 21, starts from the, the new earth, the city coming down, and he walks us into the city. Now, most of you guys have heard this. The city is made out of gold. The foundations are made of 12 different precious stones. There's these huge gates made out of single pearls, right? That's a big clam, right? These big single pearls. And you see this beautiful depiction of this city that we're gonna live in. And now where I'm gonna read to you is John walks into the gates and this is what he sees, okay? Let me read this to you. Then the angel, that's who showed him. The angel showed me the river of living water sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the broad street of the city. The tree of life was on both sides of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit and producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His slaves, that's not derogatory, His slaves will serve him. Let me pause there. So John walks into the interior of the city that we're going to live in forever, right? The Bible even gives us dimensions of the city. It's going to be astronomically large, about half the size of the United States, this city. It'll be 12 stories tall, right? So he walks into the city and he sees there's like a main street, a broad street, right? The main, the main drag. And he sees this and running down the main street, there is the river of life, And it's coming from way off in the distance. He sees the throne of God, and this river is coming from the throne of God right down Main Street. And on both sides of the river, it says that the tree of life was there. Now, I used to think that was a big tree with maybe a hole in it and the river ran through. That's not what it means. If you study it, it was an orchard of trees. So there's these trees that run all down this Main Street. And on these trees, the leaves of the trees, it says, heals the nations right? It heals us. That could be emotional healing, physical healing, whatever the case may be. And there's these 12 different kinds of fruit that we will eat from these trees that line this broad street leading up to the center of heaven, which is the throne of God. Now, here's the scripture that absolutely blows me away. Listen, new earth, gold city, foundations made of these isotropic stones, which means that when the light hits it, rainbows shoot everywhere. That's what heaven is made out of. Gold streets, pearly gates, this beautiful thing. You walk in the river, the trees, gorgeous. And as you get to the center though, after passing just all of this beauty, this is the climax of heaven. John says, then they will see his face. The ultimate destination of denying ourselves is not material possessions, not even in heaven. It's that we will walk through and at the center of it all, waiting in eternity, we will get to see the eyes of God. Amen. There's no greater gospel that I can tell you that the Lord will put his hands on our cheeks and he will look deep into our eyes and he will say, well done. And it says that there will be no more night there. There'll be no more dad issues. There'll be no more insecurities. There'll be no more sexual abuse. There'll be no more hunger or tears or mourning. There'll be no more fighting that temptation to give in to that. There'll be no more hurt. There'll be no more anger or jealousy or political systems or economic systems. All those things will be gone. And the only thing that will be left is me and God. And we will reign with him forever. There's some of you in this room, you are just, it is so hard to make it through the night. You're so tempted. You're struggling. You're fighting. You're looking for this satisfaction. All these things and it never seems to be enough. And if we can just dig our heels in, if we can just Hold on. He's waiting. The end is not ourselves, the end is the Creator. He's there. And we get to do what no one has ever gotten to do before we get to look into His face. So, the final reward of a life of putting ourselves last, the final reward of the one that possibly may may be martyred for their faith or celibate until the day they die or lives the roughest 75 or 85 years that you could possibly imagine. The end result is greater than all the material things of this earth. It's greater than all the sex, the drugs, the music, the fame, the fortune. Climbing up the corporate ladders and amassing all these things, it's better than all those things. Listen, it's even better than the material things of heaven. It's even better than the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the new earth and whatever else waits for us on the other side. The end result, if I deny me, is I get God. And listen, man, I'm not trying to like just mess you guys up today, but I long for the day when you and I can be arm in arm, Muhammad, when we can link our arms together and a man that used to worship a false God, and I can look, and he gets to see God with me. And I get to hang out with some of you that have sexual struggles, and you've had these temptations that you've suppressed for so long, and it was hard to make it through the night. And some of you who struggle with insecurity and fear and anxiety, but you dug your heels in, and you kept running the race, and you kept working, and you kept denying yourself as tough as it was, and we're gonna get to see God together. but you got to hold on. You got to keep pushing forward. You got to keep saying no to you. You got to keep saying no to you. Is it hard? Of course it's hard. Of course it's hard. But you got to put yourself second. You got to put yourself after God. You got to keep running after him. Listen, and if you're not a Christian in here, coming from a guy that lived for himself the first 23 years of his life, The only end I kept coming to was, I just wanted to end my life. And that's how I came to know Christ. I was in the middle of a suicide attempt. If you've never heard my story, three days of drinking myself sick with vodka because I wanted to die. That's how I came to know the Lord. Because if the end is us, you're gonna be extremely disappointed. We are not the end. He's the end. And if we can just put ourselves aside... One day, guys, not only do we inherit the king, we inherit his kingdom. He says, you're going to reign with me. Would you bow your heads with me? Listen, if you're in here and you do not have a relationship with the Lord, if you're not a Christian, we would never want to make you feel guilty or embarrassed or, or anything like that. We'd never want to do that. But if you have any questions or if you have any, I don't know, if you, if you just want to take a leap of faith, there's a group of people up here to my left, your right, that will pray for you. You can even walk up and say, I don't know what I believe. I don't, I don't know if I buy into all this. And if you go up to them, let them pray for you. If you're in here, guys, and you know who Jesus is, and you're struggling, you're struggling, you're struggling, it's hard, it's it's just day to day, you're trying to stay sober, you're trying to stay clean, you're trying to walk a straight path, you're doing everything you can, and it's just freaking wearing you out. I just wanna tell you, if I could just encourage you, hold on, hold on. Guys, I'm with you. I have grown so tired of this world. I'm tired of it. But we gotta hold on. We gotta dig our heels in. We gotta keep pushing forward. We gotta keep working towards the goal. We've gotta stay focused on Jesus. If you've repented for your sins, there's communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp, there's communion. You're welcome to help yourself to that to remember that Jesus is with you. Just like that bread and that juice go inside of you, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it resides with you, he's with you. You're not left alone. He's there. He's a strong tower. You're welcome to take that. But again, there's prayer people up on the right and left of me. Please help yourself. Please make yourself comfortable. Please don't pass up an opportunity. Lord, I love you, God. Be gracious and merciful with us. Lord, we thank you. Father, we pray, God, that you come quickly. Lord Jesus, we pray, God, that we're ready, that we're a bride waiting for you, Jesus. We pray, God, that we love people enough to share the gospel with them and to love them the way you would love us. We pray, God, that we, we can just lean on you when times are tough, God, and we're confused. We love you, Father, and we thank you, God. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.